And we're live. With Paranormal Dash Spirits. The place where we come to get our booze on. We talk about the booze. The things that go bump in the night. And I get to do that with all my booze. I'm Mike Black. <laughs> this is my wife, Alyssa Black. Greetings. My best friend, oh, John Burkett. he didn't say breast friend. <laughs> You've lost it. I didn't say breast You've br- lost that I didn't say title breast now. friend now. Just best. <laughs> so, if you're coming here on a podcast and listening to us, I'm going to tell you about some of the places that you can uh, come to see us besides that. And I'm going to tell you a story tonight. And when I was researching this, this is a really sad story. It's a spooky story, but it's sad too. So I'm going to give you a trigger warning. If you're triggered by things that are sad and and kind of make you grab a hanky, this one might do it because it almost did for me. But did the, it make you feel verklempt? No, it did not make me feel verklempt. But uh, it, it, emotions. it was it was a very emotional story when I was researching it, and you'll see why when I when I get to it. But anyway, if you're listening on a podcast, you can catch us on YouTube at Three B Paranormal Dash Spirits. I'm sorry. 3B Paranormal Spirits. There you are. <laughs> Sound like I've already been the spirits, doesn't it? Um, then we have a Facebook site, which is Booze with Benefits. We also have uh, Instagram. We have TikTok and Twitter. They all have the same name. It's Paranormal underscore dash, D-A-S-H, spelled out, underscore, Spirits, and that's for Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Now, if you go to our website, which is paranormalspirits.com, paranormal spirits.com, I can't talk tonight. Good right. lord, you can, that's kind of a landing page, and you can get to all those places. And you can go to our swag site where you can pick up your boozy's koozie and you can pick up your uh, boozy's coffee mug and you can pick up your boozy's beanie and your, your your dad cap or your trucker cap or uh racerback tees which john has promised that he's gonna wear during a, a podcast when we get to 100 subscribers i'm here for it on youtube better and hurry up and hit that number before it i know y'all subscribe if, the more people that subscribe the sooner you get to see john in the racerback tee and as an effort to Increase our solidarity and our friendship. I will wear Racerback tea as well. Ooh. So you'll get to see both of us in Racerback tees. That's the one you're going to want to listen to audio only. Audio Absolutely. Only. It will haunt her nightmares. And since this show is about spirits, we start off every night with a spirit to get the ball rolling. And tonight we are drinking tequila. John, tell us about the tequila we're drinking tonight. This is Trace Agaves Blanco. That means three agaves. I, For those yeah, of you I, who don't know. What does agave extremely mean? Extremely basic Spanish. It's the plant that tequila Extremely made, right? basic. <laughs> this is an organic tequila. Oh. I've never had the Blanco. I've had the Añejo. It is... What do you think about the Añejo? I like, I mean, the bottle's gone. Yeah, well. <laughs> First smell, what's it smell like? I got something right off the nose. That's agave. That's agave. I get it agave. It smells like butterscotch. You know, I smelled oh. pickles last time. And... I smell butterscotch. 
I get a little bit of that, some kind of buttery something, maybe. It's like, I feel like it's butterscotch. Oh, yeah. These are clean glasses, right? They are clean glasses. It's like... I, I haven't been drinking butter schnapps out of it or like anything. Wor- You've been drinking Werther's buttery out of nipples. here? Yeah, no buttery nipples out of this one. <laughs> can you say nipples on YouTube? Yes. You oh, can't okay. show them on you, but you can say uh, it. What if I have pasties? <laughs> That's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Keep that to yourself, too. you can digitize them. You know, just, yeah, I guess I, or blur pixelate, them out, you know, pixelate, pixelate them. them. I've done that. So, this says, when it comes to our Blanco, they're rebels. They're rebels. Relaxed, but rebels nonetheless. <clears throat> you see, by law, Blanco tequila can be aged up to 60 days in order to mute the agave flavors. But we love the taste of agave. Because when your, your agaves are organic, grown in the tequila valley, that's in Jalisco. I was going to say, that's got to be Jalisco. Yeah, and slowly roasted to perfection, there's nothing to hide. That's why we bottle our Blanco as soon as it's distilled. The result, vibrant and sweet agave aromas that include hints of citrus, mint, and pear, typical of the Tequila Valley terroir. Like <laughs> okay. I don't know why they have this French-sounding word. I don't know. <laughs> All of them talk about the terroir. Or maybe I'm saying that the French way. And that's oh, I don't know. Spanish way to say that. But just, don't just take our word for it. The ultimate cocktail challenge awarded our Blanco the Chairman's Trophy. Oh, nice. Yeah. So well, it does come highly here. recommended. Yeah. This has some decent legs on it, it's by the way. grown, unaged, vibrant, and sweet agave aromas dominate with supporting notes of citrus pear and hints of wild mint. I just get butterscotch all day. I get, I get a little bit of ethanol. I get... That's a truck going down the road, and you can hear it. That must be a really big truck. That's one of those mosquito... Trucks. Oh, is that what it is? It's oh, okay. for mosquitoes. It's not as weird as the bicycle playing techno. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> so John and I, before the, the podcast started out, we were outside, and there's a bicycle, electric bicycle, no less, with LEDs on it. <laughs> yeah, and it's playing like techno music as it's going down the road. I swear and to God. And they kept coming back and forth. Like right yeah, by your over fences. and over. It was a trip. Parking right. on two wheels. So ready? Yep. Cilantro. 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 Oh. I like that. Sharp. Mm. Burr. Not too bad, though. That's just about right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty good. There's that's not good. enough burn to make me go, ooh, that's bad, or that's Mexican moonshine. That's <laughs> well. I mean, you know, some of it is. It's still buttery. You still get that. It's like a buttery, a, scotchy, butterscotchy oh, kind of. That's good. I don't know if I like it better in the G four. Uh uh. But it's good. It is. It's very good. What's, I would. What's the price point on this? It's like thirty five bucks. It's not. It's yeah, not it's it's not expensive at all. As that's, opposed to the G four. That's really good. I had, it says it has a pleasing taste. Uh, that's it. That's it. It's silky a pleasing texture. taste. It's silky texture to make it <laughs> so ideal they, for sipping and mix or mixing. So they didn't get the marketing company that Rolex did when no to or, describe or their tequila. That, that Vigente or any of the other ones that have this long descriptive 
Yeah, that trips me out when they do that. It's just like you know, G four wasn't very descriptive either. It just mm. said tastes good, and it by God it did. Mm-hmm. It was good. G four is about forty five. So what's this thirty five? This I've had the añejo of this, and I think I only paid about forty five dollars for the añejo. I think that's. I don't think it's quite as smooth as a G four. Agreed. That G four is. That's good. Yeah, it's really smooth. It's mm, pretty smooth, the, though. And first, G four is not as smooth as Mijenta, you know. So yeah, this is about thirty, thirty-two. I'm telling you, that's it's not expensive, yeah, no, and it's really good. That's that was me. Oh. I this table cracks and pops sometimes. Gila Valley, Jalisco. Good stuff. There's names of towns in there, but it's too small for me to see. <laughs> the G4 is like all over the place. Some of the cheaper ones are like 38, 45, 50. So. so what is this normally, 35? Yes. That is, for a $35 tequila, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. For that price point, for that price point, I would put that at excellent. It is. Excellent for that price point. And when they fool you, when you're walking by at our liquor store down here, it's sitting right next door to the Terramana on the same shelf right next to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> really? Well, maybe because right. they both start with T. Same price point. Right. Yeah. yeah. But this is better, yeah. It is better. Oh, Certainly okay. better. <laughs> All right. So we we talked about the booze. I give it a thumbs up, John. Thumbs oh, up. Totally. Yeah. Alyssa? Yeah. Thumbs up? Okay, we're all thumbs up for... I was trying to see what homie rated it. Mary's going to get pissed off. Yep. <laughs> a B. A B, yeah. I. So, for its price point, I think it's an A. I would agree. Someday we'll have to find Fortaleza. Oh, I know, right? Stop. Okay. That's our quest. <laughs> That's the grail. All right, I'm going to tell you guys the story. We talked about the... B-double-O-Z-E. Let's talk about the B-double-O-S. What? I just keep hearing things like... It's this kitty cats. Probably the kitty cats wanting out of their entrapment because we can't mm-hmm. have them climbing on the table while we're doing the podcast. Because <laughs> we don't have a studio. They would jump right up there. <laughs> I know. Catch their this, tail on fire. Catch their tail on fire. Then run and then knock and the tequila over. Jump up the blankets. Knock the cameras knock over. Knock the tequila over. Then that would catch on fire. All the computers are gone. All their audio equipment's gone. It's not ideal. All right, let's talk about the B-double-O-S. And this is the the story. If you've seen A Haunting in Connecticut, the the first of the the Conjuring movies, that's what this story is about. This is this gives you movies. Is it? Yeah, it's Conjuring, and then there's Haunting in Connecticut. It's not part of the Conjuring universe. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, this was the this was the Connecticut home that was haunted from the Conjuring universe with Ed and Lorraine Warren, and it talks about the uh, the Snedker family, Snedeker family. It's hard to say. Snickerdoodle family. Yes, the Snickerdoodle. No, it's Snedeker. It's Snedeker. It's Snedeker. Keep me straight because I've heard so many. I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I've read a bunch of articles, and I'm hearing all these different pronunciations for it. So keep me straight. 
All right. So in the winter of 1986, 13-year-old Philip Snedeker was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. So it starts off sad. He was given six months to live. He had to see a specialist, uh, an oncologist, that was eight hours away. And it's about a 300-mile drive in Connecticut, I'm assuming, with the, the traffic or whatever. In Connecticut, you drive 300 miles, you're going to end up in Maine. Or, or West Virginia. <laughs> they did not live in Connecticut at the time. They had to travel oh, to oh. Connecticut, which was 300 miles away and about an eight-hour drive for them. Where were they? I, you know, I didn't even look. But they needed to move to Connecticut because this is just too much. This is too taxing on Philip to have to, to travel like this. So Carmen Snedecker. Snedeker. Snedeker. Goes to Connecticut to look for a home. She finds one. Alan, the dad. That's my cats. They're wanting out of there. Mm-hmm. They Sounds can't come like out. they are out of there. Mm-mm, they're not. Um, so Alan puts in for a transfer. That's the dad. And doesn't get the transfer yet. But luckily, Carmen found a home. And this home was for rent. It was a perfect fit, four bedrooms, but it was under reno when she got there. So she couldn't see the whole house. She only could see part of it. The really nice thing about it was that it fit the budget. And that was that was massive for them because they were having uh, financial difficulties because they were trying to pay for Phillip's uh, chemotherapy. And... On top of that, it was only just a few minutes away from the hospital. So they were really fortunate in finding that. Weeks later, they actually begin to move. Alan thinks that Carmen has done this amazing job of finding a home. He's so happy. Um, so they go in there, and they start looking at the house. Upstate New York. Upstate New York is where they're from? Okay. Yes. So... They were. Um, they go down into the basement in an, in a room off of the basement. So you have the basement, okay? The room to the left, and there's a room to the right. The room to the right has this door with a a window in the door or glass in there, so they can see in. And this is filled with all these strange tools, wax, heavy makeup. So they figure out that this room off of the basement uh, was where they prepped the bodies. And this was a funeral home at one point. And there's even a body hoist that goes from the basement up to what would become Alan and Carmen's bedroom. Those make a great bar. I saw somebody who bought a funeral (laughs) home as a house. No. And they converted. They went and got a nice coffin and turned it into a bar that they could lift up and they like build it. I happen to know somebody that lives in an old funeral home. Oh, my God. So Carmen, once Alan and Carmen, they're looking at this and they're going, oh, my God, this was a funeral home. Carmen flips shit. She says, no. I'm not bringing my kids here. There is no way. And Alan's like, nobody died here. 
He said they were dead when they, they got were already here. dead when they got here. So it's not a big deal. We can we can utilize this. It's the right place. It's the right amount of money. This is good for us. And um, so anyway, the landlord. Uh, he comes in, he takes all the tools out, but he leaves the tables that are in this room. And, stainless steel tables. Yeah, the stainless steel tables, because you need those. The freezer. The drainage holes in the building. And the body hoist. He leaves that. That come in real handy, though, you know, getting stuff from the basement. Of, hey, well, think about it, you know. The dumbwaiter. The problem, the problem is this dumbwaiter didn't go to the, the kitchen. It went to the... It went to their bedroom. I'll say the bedroom. Yeah, so that's that doesn't really work for him. Okay. So Carmen doesn't want to move in, but Alan convinces her they need a house. It fits the budget. They spend all this money on Phillip's treatment. They're going broke. I mean, like hand over fist, these bills are coming in. And so they decide, okay, we're going to move in. We're going to utilize this place, but we're not going to tell the children. Okay, so they're good, right? So the first day... The kids are exploring the house when they start moving in. Carmen is in the kitchen and she's mopping. And as she's putting her water in the bucket and getting her mop there, next thing you know, this water turns blood red and looks like congealed blood. And then suddenly, poof, it just goes back to clear, right? And it kind of freaks her out. Well, Philip goes to the basement now philip is the the oldest son he's i think 14 now uh goes to the basement and he feels like someone's watching him and then he hears someone calling his calling his name so he goes to tell his mother who thinks that this is associated with the stress of the illness or something like that this is the same mother that just saw the water carmen turn Mm -hmm. red and yeah Well, Philip figures out, he's a sharp kid, figures out this is a funeral home, you know, or it was. And Carmen believes that because Philip is so close to death at this point, that the veil between life and death is thinner for him. You know, we've talked about that veil mm-hmm. between our, our worlds. She thinks it's thinner for him, and so... She thinks that's why he knows this. That's why he's able to detect this. Okay. During this time, Carmen has the whole house to herself. Alan, remember, is working eight hours away. So it's like he can't drive eight hours a day every day. So he's staying at the job site or, well, in that town. So he's only coming home on the weekend, and Carmen's got the whole house to herself. And Philip taking him to the doctor and dealing with the kids and you know it's just it's a handful the blood mop water yeah the bloody mop water well shortly after they move in their youngest daughter is up in her room um on the second floor she's playing with her dolls in there and she notices a shadow kind of you know looming over her she turns around and there's an older woman there gray hair sunken eyes and so the daughter freaks out. She runs down to her mom. Mom goes upstairs to investigate. She gets up there, and of course, she doesn't see anything. So she's like, okay, it's your brother's 
you know, jacking with you and playing tricks on you. So she goes and scolds the boys, and they deny doing anything. They're like, hey, it wasn't us. We swear to God, you know. She goes and back downstairs to finish supper after this. So Carmen is, like, getting no rest at all. And the only time that she can rest is when she's asleep. The boys' bedrooms are in the basement. So you remember there's that the basement, then there's that room off to the left that belongs to Bobby. Philip has the main room down in the basement, and then you have what became known as the the lab, they called it. And the lab was the, the prep room. Prep, yeah. So... That's where the hoist comes down to, right? Yes. So they um the boys aren't getting any sleep because they're disturbed by sounds and sights of someone moving behind this closed door with the glass the window in it the embalming room yes they were in the casket room mm-hmm. yeah it says they were in the casket display room yeah so these boys are like freaking out and at first, they just think, well, it's just my mind playing tricks on me. Because, you know, I mean, we've all been in some place where you go, oh, was that a shadow? Did that move? You know, I mean, so they think their minds are playing tricks on them. So they're brothers and they talk, you know. They figure out that they're both seeing the same things at the same time. And they feel a presence down there with them. During this time, Philip is getting worse very sick and like I say they'd only given him six months to live and he literally is knocking at death's door at this point and of course now he's not getting any sleep either so you know his condition is just worsening and um, soon the boys they just can't take it and they tell Carmen their mother what they've been experiencing and that they're seeing a man in this what they call the lab room or the body prep room and Carmen tries to you know assuage or negate the fears of Philip and Bobby and tries to explain to Philip well maybe you're experiencing this because you're so sick and because of the medication that they have you on and Philip replies to his mother well why is Bobby having these why is Bobby seeing these things too? He's not sick. You know, <laughs> of course you didn't have an answer for that, obviously. But Carmen to this point has not experienced anything. I mean, other than the, the bloody, bloody mop water. water. And, you know, that could be explained away with stress, you know, or, or something like that. Or yeah, tequila. <laughs> tequila will make you see all kinds tequila of things. To deal with stress. <laughs> to the, yeah, maybe she was stressed and then drank some tequila and then mopped and you know. But anyway, uh, so up till now, it's it you know nothing paranormal. So one night she's uh, prepping dinner, and she is just at the table. She goes down to the deep freeze to get some meat out. While she's down there, she hears a noise in the dining room. So she comes back up there. She walks into the dining room, and all the dishes are gone. All these dishes that she had placed on the table, and now they're gone. And she's like, she knows that she's placed them there. 
And she's like, she feels like she's going nuts because she knows she's at that table. So, and at the very same time that this happens, Bobby is in the basement, which is Philip's younger brother. And he starts hearing whispers, this whispering. And it's coming from that prep room. So he keeps sneaking closer to the door and he's listening and getting closer and closer. And finally, he can make out what this thing is saying to him. And it's saying, Philip, 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 Philip. It's like over and over. It's calling for Philip, this thing in the the prep room, right? So Bobby, just like, he freaks out. He runs up there to his mom. Mom, 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 mom. You know, and he's telling her, hey, this is what I heard. So Carmen goes back downstairs with Bobby and goes to the door. Finally, she works works up her nerve and she opens the door. Nothing. Silence. Nada. And so Carmen has always believed she's very spiritual Uh, very religious and has always believed that there's a spirit world, but she does not believe that they can interact with us. So are the living. So, but it was that very night that that all changed. And that was considering what the boys had told her in her own experiences in the dining room. She knew that spirits could, could interact with the living and they were. So, Alan comes home for the weekend because he's only spending the weekends at home. He's staying up uh, upstate New York to work. The dad. The dad. And um, just as he's getting home, this is in the wintertime and a storm is setting in. And Alan knows that Philip has told his brothers and sisters by now this used to be a funeral home. And so... Alan decides, well, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting about this. So he sets everybody down at the the breakfast table and they have a family meeting. And he fesses up. He says, okay, yes, this was a funeral home. And yes, there were dead bodies here. Nobody died here. There's no boogeyman here. There's no monsters. There's nobody that can hurt you. Hmm. Bobby and Philip disagree disagree (laughs) they tell their dad no dad there's this dude down in the basement and he's calling for philip and alan's not going to hear any of this he's like no bullshit this is not true and he dismissed their stories as an overactive imagination it's been the the weekend down sleeping in the basement yeah, why not? Or in the embalming room. Well, it's just, so brave about it. So, well, that's the thing about sleeping in embalming room. That's Sleep the thing about this hoist. this there whole story. Poor Philip is stuck down in this basement the whole time, and mom and dad are just like poo pooing him off every time he comes to him with something. So anyway, Alan pulls Philip aside after this family meeting, and he says, "Look, you're the oldest. You have to set an example." And you don't need to be scaring the younger kids with these ghost stories. Okay. And as you know, Philip's Ill. cancer treatments are just draining the family's money um, to pay for that. 
And so Philip is, he continues to hear these whispers in the house or in the basement. And Carmen starts telling herself, well, it's because of the medications he's on. And even though she and the kids have had experiences in the house, she still blames it on the meds what for Philip. What kind Phillip. of meds would you be on? Oncology meds, but there's nothing that would cause, that would cause hallucinations. hallucinations. Nothing. And so anyway, Maritime. I think it's horrible. I really do. But anyway. Maritime. What's the THC gel cap called? They probably didn't have that back then. Probably not. So one of the new things that's happening now at this point in the story is that all the crucifixes are disappearing. She's they're Catholic. They're not, they're not turning upside down. No, not like in the movies. But they're just disappearing. They're gone. So these are like Catholic people that these have, are very devout Catholics. They have crucifixes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the disturbances that the boys experience are coming nightly now. And they're seeing and hearing this man in the basement every night. So one night, the boys, they're frightened, they're terrified. They go up to wake Alan up. He's furious with the boys and yells at them and tells them to go back to the bed, uh, to the basement, to go back to bed. You go back there go to bed. And I'm so, in your room. So at this point, the boys are just completely freaked. They start leaving the lights on every night. And so anyway, Alan's kind of a dick. He is kind of a dick, you know, and that's why I'm saying it's sad because Alan's kind of a dick. Carmen keeps poo-pooing him off, and he's suffering through all of this, and has cancer on top of that. So Carmen and Alan get to talking, and they decide that Philip maybe needs to be examined and figure out if it's the medication that's doing this. So they take him to the doctors. The doctors assure the Snedekers that there's no way for the medication to affect Philip that way. And the doctors propose that, hey, if it's not the medication, maybe it's a, a mental issue going on, and maybe you should have a psychological examination for him. Anyway, so bills are piling up. They just keep piling up, and there this were times is like a one big long ad for universal healthcare. Isn't it? All right, so <laughs> bills would keep piling up, and at one point, the bills became they would come in and it'd be two inches of bills on the counter at any Some one time. It's going in the trash, <laughs> and insurance going to cover most of it. Yeah, so so Alan he comes home on the weekend. He sees a stack of bills and he starts going through them. And he notices that the electric bill is twice what it normally is. Is it Texas in the summer or Connecticut in the Because they're leaving the lights on. Because they're leaving all the lights yeah, on. lights are going to make double your Hey, it's air conditioning will. I'm telling you what Alan said, and we know he's a dick, right? He's a jerk. So the electric bill was twice what it normally was, and he knew that the boys were keeping their lights on at night. So... Not only was it causing him to stay awake because they keep coming to him and say, hey, there's a ghost in my room. So now Alan has decided, you know what? I'm going to fix these little shits. I'm going to go down there and pull all the lights out. So he went down and pulled. Yeah. 
Now, you talk about dick. It's this a basement, dude's a dick. Right? How are they going to see to get dressed in the morning? He left them one light. He left them one light in every room that they could turn on, and that was it. Mm-mm. Wait, so, wait, one in each room, though. Yeah, there's one in each room down I mean, there. that's plenty. I thought he, like, took all the light, left dude, one light, So anyway, the whole basement. So it wasn't long after this that the I, boys... I sit in the dark at home. <laughs> All right, anyway, moving on and talking about the Snedekers. So they're down in the basement here, and this Bobby gets waking up, and then Phillip's awakened. The lights are flashing on and off, okay, in the fixtures that have no bulbs in them. The lights were just flashing, right? Hadn't seen that before. Me neither. Bobby, the younger brother, notices. He looks over to where the light switch is. His little sister's over there just <laughs> laughing and flipping the switch up and down. But there's no bulbs. But there's no bulbs. But the lights are coming on. He goes hauling ass after his sister. She turns around and runs up the, the steps from the basement. When he gets to the top, he notices that his mom and his, uh, I think it was his aunt at the time, are in the living room. So he runs in there. And he says, hey, did you see, um, um, God, I can't remember her name, his sister come through and she's like, no, I put her to bed, you know, hours ago and she's asleep. I know I tucked her in. He said, well, she was just down in the basement. He says, there's no way. So they go into her room and they check. There she is sleeping soundly, tucked into bed. So... Bobby goes back downstairs and tells Philip, hey, you know, it wasn't our sister. So now the boys are even freaked out even more because not only can this thing do all the things that it's doing, but it can also impersonate family members. Impersonate family members. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is not like just some regular old ghost. No, there's something else going on. So anyway, while they're while Philip's trying to to take all this in and you know and understand it, he's 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 getting more and more frustrated. And finally he's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm gonna go talk to this thing. So he goes to the lab room, throws the door open, walks in and comes face to face with this entity in the room. And it's this shadow, this dark form with red eyes, dark blood red eyes. So it was after this encounter when Philip faced up to this thing that his personality begins to change. And he begins to isolate from the family, spending more time in the basement. He's alone. He insists that Bobby has to move out of the basement because it's just him down there. So he's down there alone in the basement. And I wonder, I really do, if Philip maybe was trying to protect his little brother. I would like to think that, that that's what was going on. This is not how I remember the movie at all. Yeah. So as his mental state is taking a turn for the worse, he's become physically stronger. He's getting, he feels better. His cancer goes into remission. Oh. 
Oh, it's he- he's being possessed and it's healing him. His cancer goes into remission during this time. So anyway, same time all this is going on, the Snedekers, uh, one of the, the sisters of the family, her they're going through a divorce. So two of their nieces move in with the Snedekers. So now you've got uh, the youngest daughter, you've got Bobby, you've got Philip, and the two nieces, Teresa and the younger sister. Teresa was the older sister. And they came down from New York, and they're going to be staying. So, Philip and Teresa, the cousin, they were like best buds. I think it's up from New York, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. So, they're they're best buds, and they've been best buds forever, right? She notices that Philip is not the same boy that she used to know, and this dude is... Like dark, and I think of emo, but God, there was no emo back then. Well, no, there was God, back in, it was 80, 85, 86, right? Mm, there was, yeah. trust me, even, okay, even so, at Robert E. Lee High School, there was goth in the yeah, 80s. well, goth, but we didn't call it emo then. No, no, we called it, we called it goth. goth. Okay, so Philip confides in. Teresa and tells her what's going on with this dude in the basement. And evidently that just, it keeps getting worse and worse. The active activity is continuing. Now it's elevated to their scratching on the walls. Uh, his name is being called. This thing is appearing to him nightly and standing by his bed. Mm-mm. This sounds like night terror type stuff. Oh my God. Well, he wasn't frozen. It was like he could move. He could, it was just, so this thing would tell him that he wanted him to do all these negative things and tell him things that his parents had said about him, like, oh, your family's going broke because, you know, you're having cancer treatments, et cetera. So anyway, uh, he told him, you know what you should do? You should hurt your family. And he started listing out all these unspeakable things that Philip was supposed to do to his family. Now, just so happens that Philip was not the only family member that was being tormented by this demon. And I called it a demon because I figured, what else could it be? It couldn't really be a ghost if it had that much power. like a inhuman spirit. Okay. So one night... Alan is awakened. Alan, his dad, is awakened when the covers are jerked off the bed. Good. And pulled off of him. Good. I know, right? Because he's a dick. He deserves to be. He is it. a dick, and he is so. I bet his. Shut I don't know if he hell. deserves this. I bet he shut up after this. So the demon holds him down and shoves his face into the pillow. Wait, so the demon shoves Alan's face in the pillow. Alan's sleeping on his stomach, and the demon. Jerks the covers off, grabs his face, and shoves it into the pillow. One might say he was biting the pillow. One might say. And, which he probably needs to be. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Because I I know you know what's coming. Cornhole it. Yeah. So he shoves his face into the pillow. And before Alan can cry out and reach for Carmen, because Carmen's right next to him in the bed. Before he can reach over and go, hey, hey. Before he can do that. 
this thing proceeds to sodomize Alan. Cornhole him. Cornhole him. I know you can say sodomize. I I don't know if you can say say cornhole. cornhole. It's a game. With what? Handbags into holes. Does it say? With what? With his demonic. uh, With his demonic. Pepe. Ding ding. Ding dong. (laughs) Demon dog. So when it's over, Alan reaches out to Carmen, who also experienced being sexually assaulted by the entity, entity at the same time. Oh, so the reason. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. I don't feel bad about Alan at I all. I don't either. He's he deserves dick. it. I bet that's he's the last dick. time he denies it. Well, those ghosts aren't real. Well, yeah, you just found out, didn't you? Yeah, he was a dick. In the worst possible way, you just found <laughs> yeah. out. Because he, he gave him some prison love, you know. <laughs> he made him his bitch. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Teresa, the cousin who has moved in with him during her parents divorce begins to notice that this whole family is being affected by the negativity and they're all fighting fighting and bickering and this turns into screaming screaming and shouting matches mostly between philip and alan and alan blames philip for the family's financial hardships philip blames alan for his feelings of isolation. Who does Ellen blame for the an abandonment? I just got yeah. right. So in Philip's diary, the thing or demon would push Philip to do horrible, unspeakable things nightly. It got to the point that Philip would not even leave his room. So the whole time, this thing is pushing him and trying harder and harder to get Philip to hurt his family, and it began to threaten Philip. And say if he didn't do the things he was told to do. So he says, I'm going to hurt you. Just don't do me like you did Al. Oh my God, right? So. Or if you do, you know. Philip is telling. telling... (laughs) (laughs) You knew we had to go there. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) He gave the courtesy. Oh my God. (laughs) Right? I wonder if he respected him in the morning, you know? (laughs) Kissed him on the lips, told him he loved him when he was done, you know? I don't know. So in Philip's diary, which I think you can still get, the singer, the demon, um, was pushing Philip to do all these horrible things. And so Philip tells Teresa, because Teresa was his buddy at one time. She's his confidant. And... Philip tells her about the man with the, the red eyes and about other people, spirits in the basement with him. Mm. But the dude with the red eyes keeps these other people well, trapped. Won't let them pass on to gotcha. Will not let them pass. This is a very typical uh, yeah, a demonic situation with mm-hmm. multiple spirits and you've got an inhuman spirit that's keeping well, the human spirits. You know, when we're talking about the smurl, a haunting. It was the same situation where you had three ghosts, but one demon, and that demon was controlling the other three ghosts and making them do stuff. So basically, it was he was keeping them trapped, so to speak. Anyway, so Philip is telling her about all this stuff that's going on, and in the midst of telling her, Philip just flips. 
and he grabs her arm and attacks her. She's down in the basement with Philip. She freaks out, runs and tells Uncle Alan, you know, what happened. And Alan basically exiles Philip to the basement. He's already pretty much exiled himself to the basement. He has. But, you know, it's to me, this is really sad. This is a kid who's dealing with cancer. He's dealing with adolescence. And now you're... You're throwing this demon that's standing at your bedside every night. I, I can't imagine. That must have been horrible for him. I mean, truly. You know. But anyway, he attacks her and um, Alan sends him back to his room. And, you know, basically dooming him to, to suffer with the demon. And later that night, Teresa being distraught by the situation with Philip and how their relationship had been harmed by this attack by Philip. Carmen gave Teresa a rosary that she could wear, and she felt that maybe that would come for her. Later that night, Teresa is awakened in the middle of the night suddenly by the blankets being pulled off of her just like Philip. And she wakes up staring eye to eye. Or just like Alan, I'm sorry. She wakes up staring eye to eye with Philip. He attacks her, oh. punching her multiple times in the face, it says. Um, He's a dick, too. Oh, my God. So Carmen and Alan come to her rescue when they hear her screaming. They pin Philip. They call the police, and Philip was removed and taken to the hospital. Now, as he's being removed from the house, he's screaming and crying. And as he's being taken away and put into the the ambulance, he doesn't remember anything. He says he he just doesn't remember it. He was taken to the hospital for psyche valve, and just before being led into the hospital, as Carmen and Alan followed behind in the car, because they've got to sign him in so he can be evaluated. At the nervous he, hospital. At the nervous, well, actually at the, just the ER, yeah. Philip turns to Carmen and Alan and says, Mark my words, now that I'm out of the house, it will be after you. And it will get worse. So anyway, they they get Philip um, checked into the hospital and they drive home. Alan goes to work and Carmen is sitting on the edge of the bed. She's crying, freaked out. Her kid's in the hospital. She's too stressed to sleep and not knowing what to do. And she's like, how do you fight something you can't even see? So she goes down to the basement. And she sits there and she challenges this thing. And said the basement turned ice cold. She began to shiver and shake. And suddenly could see her own breath coming out. So this thing is just immediate temperature drop. Carmen, but she never saw anything. 
Nothing ever talked to her. Nothing moved. She just temperature dropped, right? And she could feel this presence. So she goes back upstairs to take a shower. Maybe she can relax with the shower and she can go to sleep. And as she's taking the shower, the shower curtain starts creeping in on her. And she notices it. And she's like, what is this? You know, and it just keeps getting closer and closer. Finally, this thing is like, and it just sucks her face. She can't get out of the shower curtain. She's screaming. She's crying. Trying to breathe. At the same time this is happening, Teresa, the cousin, or the niece of Carmen and Alan, is asleep and she jolts awake. The rosary that's around her neck is now somebody's trying to choke her with it. She wakes up, she finally she finally breaks the rosary free, jumps up, and she hears this muffled screaming. She runs into the bathroom to find Carmen in the bathroom being asphyxiated. So, by the shower curtain, huh? Wait, which one? By is the shower curtain. By the shower curtain. Carmen's in the shower. So anyway, she can't get the shower curtain off of her. So finally, she tears a hole in the shower curtain so that Carmen can breathe. When she does that, she's able to to pull the shower curtain off of her. So they both just crumple down onto the floor, and they're like, "Oh my God, you know what's going on?" You know, and Philip had or Philip had said. It's coming after you next. So, Alan gets to work. This is going on during the same time. Alan gets to work. And, you know, on the way there, he's worried about the bill. He's thinking about everything. He thinks, okay, maybe work will take my mind off everything for a while. And But that didn't happen. So, Alan gets to work. The truck, after he gets out, starts back up. Now, we all know about dieseling, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But the truck cranks back up and drives through the wall where he sat at work with his keys in his pocket. So, this truck is trying to... So, it went into gear. Yeah, it went into gear. It said he described it as if somebody had put their foot on the gas and stood on it. And the truck rams through the wall where he's at. So all this while, Carmen and Teresa are fighting the demon at the house. This thing is attacking him there. So it's following him wherever they go. And the phone rings for Carmen and Teresa. Carmen picks up the phone. And all she can hear is this muffled laugh on the other end of the phone. At that same time, she feels a burning sensation in her ear. This burning sensation is like, oh my God. And she drops the phone. She looks down and the receiver is melting on the phone. This old landline, you know. And the um, Teresa and Carmen look and they see this mist that's this dark mist that's floating above them in the room when this happens. So they run into the other room and the phone rings again. This time it's Alan who says, Hey, the police is here. The police are here. 
Yeah, he wasn't in Arkansas. He didn't say the police is here. No, I'm sorry. The police are <laughs> here. West Virginia. Oopsie. The police are here. The truck's run through the wall. It's trying to kill me. And here I am. I'll be home when I can. So here's Carmen. She's trapped in this house between this demon. It just so happens we have another winter storm coming in. So there's this raging storm outside. She didn't know what to do. So she calls the priest that married Alan and Carmen and said, this is what's going on. I need you to come here. So the priest comes out to the house and he tells her, you know, you just need to ignore it and it'll go away. That was his advice. You just need to ignore it. Don't give it any energy. Just ignore it and it'll go away. Her worst advice. I mean, there are people that are not sensitive to it at all that could be living around this stuff their whole lives and never even notice it. And that could be. But it wasn't for them. Nope. And so her friend, she calls her friend, talks to her. She gives her a number of Ed and Lorraine Morn. She calls and talks to Lorraine. And after Ed and Lorraine discuss this, they agree to visit the Snedekers that night. After arriving, Lorraine surveys the house. And, you know, of course, she's a psychic empath, whatever you want to call it. And she immediately drawn to the basement. And as she's going down the staircase, she's confronted with something along with a bunch of human spirits. Now, this thing that she was confronted with was not a human and she said it was something demonic. So the Warrens, they tell Carmen that in order to cleanse this house, that they're going to have to do an exorcism. That exorcism has to be performed because this is demonic. This is not just a ghost haunting your house. And the Warrens decide they're going to call in John Zaffis. Um, I know you've heard the name before because he's paranormal investigator, um, very famous paranormal investigator. He's called in to help uh, investigate because they want to expedite the process of getting the exorcism. And, you know, it takes forever to get them to agree to do an exorcism. So John and his crew and the Warrens move into the house for nine and a half weeks. Not a very good movie, by the way. Nine and a half weeks. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> Completely unrelated. Wasn't that Kim Basinger? Kim Basinger and Mickey Basinger Rourke. Basinger and Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Eh. But she was like half naked through the movie. No, they were both all naked through the movie. Yeah, so, I mean, you get that out of it at least. So the family... It's such an odd time. He said nine and a half weeks. Really yeah. Weird. <laughs> so they were there for nine and a half weeks. Sleeping in the living room, on the floor, all on mattresses, by the fireplace, the whole family, and the investigation team. And Phillip's gone most of this time. Is he still working? Still, The bills are still there. They still have to be paid. Alan. Yeah, Alan. I, I apologize, Alan. So the demon goes after the most vulnerable one, which is going to be Carmen... She feels guilty because she's not believed her kids when they said there's something in this house. You know, she's put her son in a a psych hospital because of this. 
and so their family is just in tatters and she's and then you got the bills on top of that and it's just it's overwhelming i'm sure i can only imagine and so carmen becomes the focal point for this demon and so one night talking to the warrens carmen is suddenly flung backwards out of the chair across the floor it's like somebody just and she's gone right push her across the floor her face twists up her throat swells up um and I'm going to read you the quote here. She would later describe the incident. I felt like I was in a dark hole surrounded by shadowy figures, but I could not make out their features. I felt despair to the point that if I were to stop breathing, I knew that I deserved it. So she feels pretty rough. So this, the Warrens, their crew, the family, they all start praying over. They get the rosary that Teresa had and they place it on her and they start praying and finally she comes out of it she didn't know where she was she didn't know how long she'd been under or oppressed possessed whatever and she felt like it had just been a few minutes Lorraine told her that she had been out for more than eight hours and so the crew and the family have been for weeks like this. The mattresses, they take on almost a life of their own. The mattresses? That they're sleeping on in the floor in the living room. They said that you could put your hands on it and feel the pulse of the mattress. It was almost like they were alive. Don't wash your sheets at nine and a half weeks. You probably can Oh, feel my God. So anyway, it, said it felt like they were alive and breathing. Uh, the Warrens claimed that they'd been on hundreds of paranormal investigations, but said that this was the most powerful demonic force they'd come across. And finally, they get enough evidence that they can request an exorcism. So what would have been one of the final nights that they're there, this John Zaffis, this investigator, is working with the Warrens. He wakes up in the middle of the night. And, you know, they're all sleeping in this living room for their own protection from this demonic force. He wakes up and can't go back to sleep. Zach would have gone down that basement and slept by I know. No, he would have. (laughs) (laughs) He'd have made Aaron do it. He'd have made Aaron do it. (laughs) So, anyway, he wakes up in the middle of the night, can't sleep. He goes into the living room, or into the kitchen, I'm sorry. And while he's sitting in the kitchen... All of a sudden, he gets this this cold that just surrounds him. He notices his breath coming out, and he goes, "Oh shit, I'm being targeted," you know, by the demon. So he screams out for help. Hey, and he's trying to wake everybody up just in over in the living room. Nobody wakes up. Nobody says, "Hey, you know, we'll come help you" or whatever. It's a hell of a place to have to go pee in the middle of the night. Oh my god. So, anyway, he goes back into the living room to wake everybody up. Nobody wakes up, and he hears the basement door start creaking as it's opening up. He goes and looks, and there's the man wearing the suit, contorted face, blood-red eyes, 
and he runs back into the living room and grab a camera right shivering from fear and he tells Ed I have to get out of this house and evidently he has only spoken about this experience a few times since he would say I have never in the decades upon decades of investigating the paranormal experienced something to that degree of evil since that night and I pray I never do again so it it freaked him out um so it's only a few days after uh he left that John Zaffis left that the Warrens took all their evidence to the church and they agreed the Roman Catholic Church agreed to the exorcism which they rarely ever do to begin with right ask Russell Crowe I watched that the other day I know it's cheesy I liked it yeah, it was lame. I enjoyed it. So it's, they rarely ever, rarely ever agree, but even fewer times do they agree to an exorcism of a place. It's usually a person. So, but they did. They, they agreed to it. And there's a priest that arrives to conduct the investigation. And this is after several weeks. And so he, the priest goes down, he investigates, he says, yep. He said, we're calling in the exorcist. Ah, Russell Crowe. <laughs> it was, well, it was Father Richard in this. Rolled up on that Vespa. They called it Father Richard. But he's, he says he's almost immediately drawn to the basement. And as he descends the stairs, Carmen is uh, right behind him. And she said that this guy is very stoic and just didn't, he was very serious, you know. And as he's going down the stairs, he said he starts grimacing. He says, uh, you know, this is creepy, icky feeling. And so he was freaked out by it. They start to, he goes right to the lab room first and starts there. And he's sprinkling the holy water, performing the rituals. He does this for every room in the house the blessing as they get up to the living room which is the last room they're doing and he begins the ritual everything in the room begins to shake anything that was breakable did break and so I mean glass whatnots. they were talking about trinkets and what do you call it knickknacks Knickknacks, tchotchkes, tchotchkes, yeah, tchotchkes, tchotchkes, tchotchkes are falling off and breaking, and all of the Warrens or the Warrens and all of the family members were witness to this. But no one had a camera going, right? Hey, hey, <laughs> all the investigators. I've been in haunted houses, no and you've been in haunted houses. We know that this stuff happens. But I wasn't in there with a whole team of investigators. No. But, be that as it may, um, Teresa gets lifted off the floor. Something picked her up and dropped her. Again, this was witnessed by all. And so, and then just like a snap of the finger, suddenly it was over. It was done. No more movement, no more negative feelings, no more nothing. 
it was done. The so the the possession was over. It was about a month after that that Philip was released from the psych hospital. And very soon after that, the Snedekers uh, moved out of that home. What? Way too late. Yeah, right. Well, Philip was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. Really? And on January 9th, 2012, the cancer came back and Philip died on that date. Yeah, but he was much older than mm-hmm. Yeah, but but still, you know, he still died of cancer. Right. But I wonder did there and this is the thing that was so sad to me in reading all of this. Was Philip did he stay in the basement to protect his little brother? Probably. And take the brunt of all this? What do you think? It's so sad, man. This is just a funeral home. Why do you think that it has this in it? I have no idea. I don't know. Oh, and by the way, just to clear up, so you'd say it's a conjuring conjuring house, different house in Rhode Island, different story. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, That's why I was like, well, that son of a bitch is still haunted because I've seen people go in there. (laughs) Right. Okay, so this is in uh, Southington, Connecticut. Yes, Southington. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody investigate this place. Definitely the Conjuring House in Rhode Island. I've seen a couple of teams in there, but I don't. why? Why do you think that? I mean, it's just a funeral home. I don't know. The, the Conjuring House there was the whole witch being hanged out in the front yard back in the 1700s, and the you know. Oh yeah, yeah, all yeah. All that stuff going on there, but mm-hmm. this place. Or do you think like? family stuff drew an entity there but well something that powerful there's more than one you know story that's like some native american burial ground type there's some about the um that talks about when lorraine first went down and i didn't go into great detail because it gets really graphic but the um i mean not if as if sodom Sodomy is not graphic enough. I said reach around earlier, so yeah. yeah. So when Lorraine first went down, there was this spirit on the the uh, the stairs, mm-hmm. and that told her that basically that he had violated the corpses. They were accused of necromancy. Yeah. Oh, they were doing... Or necrophilia. Necrophilia or mancy? This says practice necromancy. There was another one that said that they were convicted of necrophilia. Oh, wow. Well, if they were doing... I mean, okay, the necrophilia is bad enough. If they were doing, like, black magic necromancy stuff, trying to raise the dead and doing... There's no telling what went on. Rituals with the dead bodies. Then, yeah, okay, that, that might cause a bit of a stain place yeah it was but it was and I the Ed and Lorraine stuff there some of their stories are just like oh my god you know they go they go over the top a little hard to believe sometimes Mm -hmm. 
So I think it goes, you know, it boils down to, do you believe Ed and Lorraine are really, he's really a demonologist? How do you get to be a demonologist? You gotta, Is there gotta, a class at a community college do, you can take? To, do you go to university for that? <laughs> you know. TJC offer I mean, that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think this is the last place. Can you get an associate's degree in demonology? I don't think that's. So they were practicing necromancy. She said, or in one version that I've, or one of the stories that I read, where it says that she encountered someone who, a spirit, encountered a spirit that admitted to necrophilia. I mean, that could have been part of the necromancy. It. Could have been maybe that's part There's of the ritual. I don't what know. What kind of jacked up rituals people were? I don't know. But I mean, hey, you know, if you're into that, a funeral home is the place to be. Ugh. Ugh. It's a little, it's a little stiff for my taste. I'm oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but oh my god, it's a little dry, it, a little dip. <laughs> um, but if you're performing like black magic crap down there and doing shit with the bodies, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's no telling what went on. And but it could obviously, exaggerated because in the film version, it's quite exaggerated from the you know. And, uh, they obviously shook something loose, <laughs> you know. <laughs> jarred something loose. They jarred something loose for sure, but. No, it's really sad with Philip though, being forced to stay in that basement, being forced to deal with this thing standing at his bedside every night, and you know, I've, on the different accounts that I've read, he's they're down in there and he's standing there going, he said, "Your parents blame you for their financial troubles, and it's all your fault. You should just die," you know. Or being diagnosed with schizophrenia and treated for it when he very well could have been completely sane. But just because he talked about all these entities that were haunting him, they said, well, yeah, he's Alan got schizophrenia. Got... Why would you say he's got schizophrenia when you get Well, a... obviously he didn't go tell the docs, hey, by the way, what he's well, saying might be true. So here's the thing. If you're subjected to enough over a period of time, I mean, what happens when you put a person into, into isolation for a period of time? They go nuts. They lose their shit. Most people. Some people like being alone. But, I mean, true isolation, it gets to them after a while. So maybe that happened to Philip. And not only is he isolated, you know, even if it's self-imposed, he's still isolated. You had to eat, though. You got to eat. It's got to come up. People have to come down. Yeah, but I mean. For food. Even prisoners get, you know, an hour in the yard or something, you know. So, but I'm saying, what if, what if this is what broke Philip? What if this is caught? What this? What if this is what caused his psychosis? Was being subjected to the demonic you're either, influence. You're going to have uh, serious mental problems from this, or if he has psychosis, you're going to get used to it after a while. And just... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't schizophrenic at all. Say, who says it's psychosis? I mean, because we've always said, it. you know, what's the difference between schizophrenia and demonic possession? You know, that's a fine line. I mean, as far as what it appears on the outside, it pretty much looks the same in my mind. And according you to know? Russell Crowe, 98%. I'm hearing voices. I'm seeing things are that aren't there that everybody problems. else doesn't see. Am I schizophrenic or am I demonically possessed, you know? 
I guess you'd have to examine the... Uh... They say medication changes one and medication doesn't change the other, and that's how you know the difference. Medications don't affect demonic oh, possessions, yeah, but medications affect schizophrenics. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would But work. how yeah, many schizophrenics? We've worked in psychiatry. How many schizophrenics take their meds? How many schizophrenics have, do you medicate and it doesn't work and you have to try another med? Right. And then you try another med well, and you try another med. Do you, you find one that works? Possession that oh, dude, I'm telling you, there's probably a few that came through that I would not argue the fact that they were demonically possessed. I also will argue the fact that some of them came in doing that because they pickled their brains with other things. As in drugs and, well, hey, there were. Well, during the interview that I I saw with the family and the Warrens, there were neighbors who said that Philip was like dropping acid. Um, Not that I would know, but that will not cause you to uh, hallucinate. Oh, no, it causes you to hallucinate for about 8 to 12 hours and then it stops. Okay, but what if... We know that that LSD is a people call it a mind altering, but a lot of people believe that it's not necessarily mind altering, but it opens your mind up. What well, does the open thing? So I hear. So if it opens your mind up, you never could it open you up to, to be possessed by something or influenced by something that's already you might attacking be you? Opened up to perceive things that you would not have normally, yeah, normally been perceived, i.e., a demon spirit. Have been right. So, open in a way they weren't if he did that, if he did the LSD and he opened his mind up, and now he's in the presence of something that would take advantage of an open mind, i.e., a demon, would that well, give it? Do an LSD and a haunted ass bitch. Well, then you also have schizophrenics who are usually like devoutly religious and think they are Jesus Christ, whereas demonic possession is usually very much against anything that's not the, right. any, any kind well, of the, the, spiritual. The proof is when you throw the holy water on them and it <laughs> smokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Can you laughs> think that. Or, or what if? You turn around and you spit green pea soup across the room with projectile vomiting and hit the priest in the face with it. Does or that you is send that demonic the possession? Flying out of the room, it's a wrong priest. Yeah, <laughs> That's <a> pretty good <laughs> indicator. Back, shaman, back. <laughs> wrong fucking priest. Uh, it's fresh on the mind because I just I watched bet. it the other day. It's a great so you movie. like I, this? I liked it. I thought it was lame as nothing more delightful than the sight of old fat Russell Crowe on a Vespa with his luggage. <laughs> <laughs> more delightful. I love it. That that's right. delightful. Or how about shooting the goat? Shooting the pig. It's a pig. Oh, was it a pig? That was okay. brilliant. That's a great idea. Dude, that movie was so lame. I liked it. Oh my God. I hated that movie. And I liked the whole I was pissed with the- off. When I watched that movie, because I I did the pay per view. The whole year. Oh no! I waited till it was on Netflix. No, I, I did pay per view because I wanted to see it. I couldn't wait to see this movie. It's going to be great. It's Russell Crowe. It's your sins. It's paranormal. Or whatever you know, they go fight. It's and it makes sense. It's the Catholic Church's great great shame of of the the you know the yeah that 
So don't spoil the everybody. movie. Don't spoil the movie for everyone. Oh no, no, so. no, yeah. Well, this will be another month. If you hadn't seen it by the time this video drops, <laughs> right after it's been on, you Netflix. had no intention. Of yeah, you had it. no intention of really Netflix. watching it anyway. By the time this drops, it had been on Netflix for six weeks at least. So good. <laughs> I, it's great. Russell Crowe and the Vespa. Okay, we're gonna do Brilliant. the the Siskel and Ebert thing here for. What was the name of the movie? I don't even the remember. The Pope's Exorcist. The Pope's Exorcist. I give it a thumbs down. I give it a thumbs up. I never saw it. I thought it was fun. It was, it was exactly what I expected from it. With the addition of old fat Russell Crowe in a press <laughs> with a flowing pre on a Vespa. Tacky, tacky, tacky. Driving all the way from Rome. Yeah, that actually was pretty funny. Seeing him on a Vespa. To Spain. That was pretty that funny. Vespa. That was pretty funny. Was, I got to give you great. that. It that was, was hilarious. That made the whole movie. And the get, rest of the movie. Okay, how about the part where he's... You get multiple scenes of him on the Vespa. Movie. How about the part where he's floating up above the the pit and all that? That and, wasn't him. Know. That was... It looked like... Mary, oh, he did too. Like Mary coming out of the... And then it went... Blah, yeah. It just, all scary. Okay. And I liked the cages with the skeletons. I don't know. I liked it. Trace Agaves? Thumbs up. Dubs up. Dubs up. Dubs way up for that. Okay. Way up for that. And we did the Blanco tonight. Um, no reason to spend any more on anything at, the, if, at that price. That's that's a great tequila at that price. Mm-hmm. The um, <clears throat> Philip, that's a sad story. Uh, anyway, you slice it, that's sad. The dude, he, I mean, he was already... He already had life stacked against him. He had he ended up with cancer at 13, 14 years old. And then he gets even possessed. And then he gets exiled in the basement. And then he gets stuck in a psych hospital. You know, the dude had it rough. And then he dies. But from, I mean, he did that like 20 years later. He did die 20 years later. And he did end up drug addicted in he, between. He beat the odds. He beat the odds. He did. But it's still a sad story. And so Tracy Gavi's good. We're just we're split on Russell Exorcist. Pope's Exorcist. Yeah, I'm gonna give it three and a half out of five. I, Don't I, waste your money. Wait till I, it's free I, on I Netflix. I hardly looked at my. It is free on Netflix. Mm. I hardly looked at my phone the whole time. That's the sign of a. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I have for you. Are we good? Yep. Good night.